Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to another episode of the Young Lions Perspective. It is Wednesday morning here on the East Coast, and it is a lovely fucking day outside in the land of New Jersey, or as most of you like to call it, the fist-pumping capital of the world, or the armpit of America, depending on who you ask, and to that I honestly say, I would more than likely agree with you. (laughs) Anyway, um... Before I get into the main portion of the opening segment, um, I know everybody and their grandmama. I've been on Twitter uh, noticing this little uh, Twitter battle between Seth Rollins and Will Ospreay. And they've gone back and forth. Everybody's been talking about it. Um, I know I'm a little late to the party, as I usually am with most shit. Uh, Anyway, so it it shouldn't surprise you by any means or any part of the matter that I come late to the party. But I wanted to give you my two cents on it because I'm sure you've probably been thinking, man, you know, what what could Zach be thinking about this whole Seth Rollins will Osprey Twiddle battle? Now, let me start off by saying this. I like both of them. I love me some Seth Rollins and I love me some Will Osprey. Excuse me. The, the coffee's been talking to me a little bit. But I mean, you can pick a side all you want. And, I mean, if you're expecting me to pick a side, I kind of lean towards Will Ospreay um, for the simple fact that when you have to be in an argument and it gets to the point where you have to uh, compare each other's bank accounts, to me personally, that's when you lose the argument. If we're having an argument and I know I'm on the right side of the argument and then you have to bring up some shit from way in left field just to try to get your point across I officially have beaten you in this argument with Seth Rollins and Will Ospreay Seth Rollins brought up the bank account argument even with a broken back and that wasn't necessary to the argument whatsoever so if you want me to lean if you're looking for me to lean towards one side or the other I'm going to lean towards Will Ospreay in this matter but let's talk about Seth Rollins, for the most part. And I'm going to tell you why I'm with Will Ospreay um, doing this. And I'll explain later to the the main portion of today's uh, opening segment. Um, I wanted to find a particular article with Seth Rollins. And there's a couple that I wanted to talk about. Um, One was, of course, the deal with Seth Rollins sticking up for WWE. And then another for what he said about John Moxley and the whole uh, Talk is Jericho podcast, um, where he made some very interesting comments about John Moxley. But for, well, let's get into uh, this first. Actually, before we get into that, um, I want to let you guys know that today's podcast is going to be the last one for the month of June. Um, usually, with my days off of Wednesday and Thursday, I'd be doing. Uh, of course, the pay-per-view, if it came on a Sunday, the Sunday before uh, Wednesday's podcast, and then I would do one for NXT and NXT UK review. There will be no NXT and NXT UK review this week. Um, I have a big interview coming up that I will be recording, and that's going to be jo- uh, jo- dropping. Uh, dropping. <laughs> Words are hard this morning. I swear to God, I need more coffee. Hold on one second. This particular interview is going to be dropping. On July 1st, 
and that will be episode three of Outside the Ropes. Um, this particular person actually hit me up in my Instagram DMs um, asking if he can come on the show. Uh, I'm not going to explain what it is just yet. Uh, more than likely after the show drops, I'll be posting a video on Instagram explaining who I interviewed and what we interviewed, what I interviewed him about. But I will say this, this is going to be the biggest show in the history of the Young Lions perspective to this point, up to this point. And this is a really cool thing for me. Um, this deserved to be an Outside the Ropes episode because this is definitely outside of the realm of me talking about professional wrestling. Um, I'm really excited to be doing this interview. I know the person I'm going to be interviewing is excited to do this interview. And you may know this person off of Instagram. You may not. But I think after this interview, a lot of people are going to be interested in what we're going to talk about. So... Just so you know, there will be no NXT, NXT UK review this week. Um, just for the purpose of that, July 1st, I will be doing that. Episode 3 of Outside the Ropes will be dropping, and this particular person I'm going to be interviewing, um, that episode will drop, and then we get back, we'll get back into the swing of things um, the following weekend, which will be, I believe, July 6th and 7th. I will be doing a proper NXT, NXT UK review. I will be live tweeting tonight for NXT. I will be, um, depending on the time frame, if I'm going to go, depending on how time goes, I will be more than likely uh, live tweeting for NXT UK as well. Uh, More than likely during the actual uh, live episode and not the um, episode that NXT UK episode because it airs twice in one day, live at three o'clock in the afternoon on the East Coast and nine o'clock the re-airing of NXT UK right after NXT. So that's what the situation is with that. So July 1st, I want you guys here with me. Tell a friend to tell a friend about this, about episode three outside the ropes. Seriously, this is the literally the first time I'm hyping this interview up. Um, it's like, inaug- like this is the inaugural, I guess, push of episode three of outside the ropes. Biggest show of the year for me so far and like I said I'm very excited to be interviewing this person like I said they came to me asking if they wanted to come on the show and I did not hesitate to say no and I am damn proud that this person is going to be coming on my show and we're going to talk about some this a very interesting thing I don't want to spill the beans on anything but once this drops you're going to be very hopefully you'll be happy with what I bring to the table um And that's what I'm going to say about that. So let's get into this article from Bleacher Report, written by Aaron Bauer. And if I'm looking at my calendar today, it's actually dropped today, a little bit early, earlier on the day. Um, Feeling the fire. Seth Rollins sticks up for WWE. But is he right? Let's get into the article, guys. Quote, the lines between professional wrestling and reality seem to get blurred more and more as time goes on. And comments made by Seth Rollins on a number of subjects this week haven't helped that situation. Since WWE stomping grounds on Sunday night, Rollins has aired his views on two different matters. He got embroiled in a war of words on Twitter with New Japan Pro Wrestling IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion Will Ospreay about the state of the company at present. Before addressing Jon Moxley's recent criticism of the company, he left just after WrestleMania 35 in an episode of Talk is Jericho. But is the Universal Champion right to stick up for WWE? 
Cynics and critics will argue the architect is bound to defend Chairman Vince McMahon and the company he is employed by for precisely those reasons, because WWE is the one sending him paychecks. It's even easier to argue Rollins may well be missing the point people like Moxley and Osprey are making here. One of his most interesting tweets came when he pointed out his defense of the situation was due to him being frustrated by people getting angry with the company he works for. And this was one of the tweets that he had sent out. Um, a fan actually said, uh, I'm not going to, uh, so Jamal Yassim Eigel, uh, do not, uh, and I'm going to say this right now, any person I bring up, do not go into their Twitter and harass them in any way, shape, or form, they're stating opinions, because last time I checked in the United States of America, where I live in, we have fucking free speech and the first of fucking amendment. He said, quote, Seth, I love you, but seriously, do dial it down a notch. Uh, this is uh, quoting, tweet, uh, quoting a tweet that Seth Rollins had said earlier. And Seth Rollins replied back, quote, Nah, dog, let me dial it up. I've sat back and watched idiots with no clue talk poorly about the place I dedicate my life to every hour of every day. The level I perform at on a constant is untouchable. Time to let them know, end quote. Getting back into the article, however, Moxley, Osprey, and others aren't taking shots at WWE's in-ring talent. There's no doubting the company has some of the most exciting wrestlers in the world on its payroll at the moment, but it simply isn't using them properly. Well said, Mr. Bauer. Moxley described the detailed firsthand experience of how frustrated he was with WWE's booking and creative processes on Talk is Jericho. At no point did he shoot on Rollins or any fellow in-ring performers, which makes this situation all the more unusual. And if you did listen to the Talk is Jericho podcast uh, with Moxley, he never said a word about any of the talent. You can, you can, you if you have not heard this episode, and honestly, you you've been late to the party, literally. Take time and take 90 minutes out of your day. Even if you're at work, if you're working and you're working on a job where you're able to actually listen to stuff while actually working, I would take 90 minutes out of my day to actually listen to this podcast. And you can, you will know immediately that he did not for one second during this entire podcast with Jericho speak any ill will towards any talent on the roster. It was more so how he felt creatively with Vince McMahon and the writers and all that shit but never once spoke a word about Rollins, any other brains, or, or any other talent whatsoever. I don't think he had the ill will towards them. It was the ill will towards creative and what, and what Vince McMahon was doing in terms of what he was doing in the last eight months of his WWE in-ring career. Getting back into the article, Moxley described the detailed firsthand experience. Oh, okay, I actually just already said that. So what makes things even stranger is that the architect positioned as the top babyface in WWE resorted to taking shots at Osprey about bank accounts and financial gains, something which has all the hallmarks of a top heel. And just so y'all know, he is not turning heel. He's still the top babyface in WWE at this very moment. So take that out of your vernacular right the fuck now. Granted, this appeared to be a real life shoot rather than a work between rival competitors, but even so. It's hardly enhanced Rollins' character development as the clean baby, clean popular babyface champion. Now, this is uh, this is uh, this is portion of the bat of the Twitter beef between Osprey and Rollins. So he actually sent out a tweet. Fact of the day: Will Osprey wrestle more matches in 2019 than WWE at WWE Rollins? Catch up, little guy, with a kissing emoji, and then Obama, and then a gif of Obama dropping the mic. To which Rollins replied, "Quote: I mean, if you want to talk numbers, we can compare bank accounts too." P.S. That's counting a month off with a broken back. Thumbs up emoji, buddy. Before getting back into the article, I do want to say that, yes, fact, Osprey has wrestled more matches in 2019 than 
Seth Rollins asked. Also fact, I guarantee you, Will Ospreay has at least more close to five-star matches than Seth Rollins. Compare the feuds Seth Rollins had, has had to ones that Osprey has had, including a match of the year candidate in Shingo Takagi versus Will Osprey at Best of the Super Juniors. Just literally, literally three weeks ago. And if you have not seen that match yet, I beg of you to go back, get subscribe to NJPW World. It's nine bucks. It's fucking worth it. Watch the Best of the Super Juniors finals card because that includes John Moxley and Juice Robinson for the United States Championship and that shit was absolutely fucking lit. And watch that match between Osprey and Takagi. They damn near went 30 minutes and gave me some of the best wrestling I have literally seen all year to the point where I can honestly say at this very moment it is a is right now on my list that I still have running in my head a top three match of the year candidate. Name a match that Seth Rollins has had this year that can honestly say would make your top 10 right now. Because to be honest, I can't think of any. I'm really trying hard to think as well while I'm thinking about this. I can't think of one. For those of you that listened to last year's top 10 list, I did not have one men's main roster match on my top 10 list. I had... I believe two or three women's matches on my top 10 list, but not one out of the entire calendar year of 2018 that was worthy of being on my top 10 match of the year list with very good reason. And if you don't believe me, go back and check that episode out. And you'll know that I have not one main roster match from the men on that list. And if I do, sue me whatever. Anyway, getting back into the article, the whole issue supports the belief some have that Rollins is doing this because he's under WWE's employment. Okay, that was... They, they, they have WWE's employ. I would be saying WWE employment. But while he's standing up for the company, even his, mo- even his most passionate supporters would have to wonder if it was right to do so in this manner. When you factor in the undeniable state of the promotion too, Maybe it would have been better for him to leave well alone. WWE's product at present is struggling. The company is persisting with the push of its talent like Shane McMahon and Baron Corbin post-WrestleMania. Actually, no, let me rephrase that. Everyone's favorite TGI Friday's general manager, Baron Corbin, post-WrestleMania. And it's having a disastrous effect on Rollins' reign with the Universal Championship. Simply put, WWE is failing the architect in his title reign right now. He should be positioned as the premier attraction on Raw every week. But that insistence on forcing McMahon down fans' throats, plus the confusion surrounding the wildcard rule, is making a title reign many supporters were desperate to see happen become pretty forgettable. Fans are dissatisfied with the direction the company is headed. It was only a few months ago that Rollins took a shot at TV ratings, fan interest, and much more, declaring they were at an all-time low, and I still remember that promo. As if WWE forgot, or as we forgot, this actually was a big deal. The workload WWE places on stars is also far greater and far more significant than any other wrestling promotion. 
Granted, the financial rewards which come from that are enormous in comparison to other brands, but that's also a criticism that has thrown WWE's way. Moxley looks like a guy who's refreshed and revitalized after traveling the world, wrestling for various promotions at his own leisure and whenever he feels like it. It's great that Rollins is sticking up for WWE, and it's probably overdue that one of the company's big names comes out to defend Vince McMahon in light of all the shots being thrown the company's way in recent weeks. With the way its talent is being booked and, noise, and the noises recently departed stars like Moxley are making, you have to wonder whether, comp- whether the company has got Rollins back in return. The way it can prove it has by proving how much Rollins means to the company and giving him the prominence and exposure he deserves. Right now, the company's book- booking is such a mess that he's just lost in the shuffle. And Aaron Bauer literally nailed this article. He absolutely nailed this article completely, and I agree with everything he said 100%. There's not a thing that he said in this article that I don't disagree with. I am very happy that more people are beginning to see and actually seeing the light of what WWE has been doing, not only in the year 2019, but in the past few years as well. This is why I'm siding with Will Ospreay, because it's getting to the point where, you know, yeah, I I, I fucks with the fact that, you know, you want to stand behind your company. Cool. But when you're, you know, when your company is becoming, is, is is an absolute dumpster fire and raw ratings are in the tank, SmackDown ratings are in the tank, the wildcard rule is literally effectively killing your brand split six ways to Sunday. Piss poor builds to pay-per-views. Pay-per-views that most people don't even want to watch. Fans aren't watching Raw as much anymore. Smack, hell, I watched SmackDown last night and I couldn't even get past the first hour. I literally was watching, I literally, I think watched 40 minutes of SmackDown Live. Got past the um, promo between, uh, the segment between with Miz, Rollins, and Shane McMahon. And I went to fucking bed around 9 o'clock. What do you fucking want me to do? But let's get into the second article I wanted to talk about. And this is also from uh, Bleacher Report. From Mike Chiari. This was actually uh, posted yesterday. Seth Rollins' response to John Moxley bashing WWE defends Vince McMahon and creative. WWE Universal Champion Seth Rollins addressed John Moxley's criticism of WWE. In an interview Monday with Jimmy Triana, Trina, I should say, I don't know if I, if I, I butchered your ass, last name, dude, my bad, on the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast, Rollins discussed the comments Moxley made during the former WWE's star's appearance on Talk of Jericho after signing with All Elite Wrestling. Quote, Ambrose can do what he wants. He's a big boy. He's got his big boy pants on. He can go out there and say whatever he wants. But the bottom, of the, bottom line is not everybody's equipped to handle the rigors of WWE and the schedule and how it affects you mentally and emotionally. And Ambrose gave everything he had to the company for the entire time he was here. But his heart and soul into the travel, into the schedule, into the injuries, into the work and the ring and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, he took his ball and he went home. Or he went elsewhere at least. And I think it's a little presumptuous of him to get on a podcast and talk about the company that gave him such an opportunity. Ooh. We'll get back to that. Getting back into the article. Rollins acknowledged that Moxley did mention some of his good experiences in WWE, such as meeting his wife, Renee Young, who is a divine-looking woman. Canadian, O Canada, holla at your boy. 
<laughs> the Beast Slayer also professed his love for his former shield brother, even though he took issue with the way Moxley expressed himself. Quote. And like I said, I love the guy. I love him. I'll always love him, but at the end of the day, we just share different perspectives about what we want out of life and about where we're at in our own lives. I hope that he does well. I've kept enough tabs on him to know that he's doing super well for himself right now, and I'm happy for that. But I just don't think there's any reason to hop on a soapbox and complain after the fact. You need to take the first step, and that's looking in the mirror and asking yourself, did you do every single thing you possibly could to make yourself in your situation what you want it to be? And if the answer is yes, then you can go elsewhere and complain. If that's where he's at mentally, then go right ahead. But if he hasn't done that, he hasn't looked in the mirror and made that decision, then maybe he should think about that. That goes for any other disgruntled talent, past or present, end quote. During his appearance on Talk is Jericho, Moxley primarily took aim at Vince McMahon in his WWE's creative process. Moxley lamented the fact that everything is scripted and questioned if McMahon should still be the one making final decisions. Rob Rollins offered a counterpoint Monday and suggested that it is on the talent to make their voice heard and to also make most of things, even if they aren't in complete agreement. Quote, absolutely, I'm satisfied with it because I make a point to be satisfied with it. I make a point to contribute any my ideas and my thoughts. And if I feel strongly something about something the way it should be or the way it should be portrayed, then I will make my voice heard. And look, nobody, not everybody gets that leeway. And also, no, everybody should get that leeway. That's not how it works. You have to build equity with your audience, with your boss, with your coworkers. You have to build equity over time, and then you can get the leeway to have that kind of say in your story if that's your complaint. Or you can just stand up for yourself and do it instead of going on somewhere else and bitching about it. I'm very satisfied with the amount of input I have. Do I do things that I always don't I don't always want to do? Yes. But you know what? Sometimes that stuff works because I can't see things perfectly every single time. I don't have the perspective that other people around me have. Vince McMahon has been doing this for 20 years longer than I've been alive. So he's got some ideas and he knows things that I just don't know that I have to learn. Alongside Moxley and Ro- Roman Reigns, Rollins made it to the WWE's main roster in 2012 as part of the Shield during their time together. The trio was booked as a dominant force dominant force and and established itself as one of the top stables in wrestling history. Upon breaking up, Rollins was pushed to the top as a heel, and Reigns was pushed to the top as a face. Moxley branched off as a face, but his booking was inconsistent, and it wasn't until 2016 that he won the WWE Championship. Both Rollins and Reigns are multi-time champions, and they seemingly aren't given as much comedic content as Moxley was, which likely contributed to Moxley's disdain for WWE's creative process. Although it can be argued that Rollins has been the beneficiary of better booking than Moxley was in WWE, they were long linked as both partners and opponents, yet and yet have a significantly different perspective on the situation. Rollins has been outspoken in recent days about his belief that WWE provides fans with the best wrestling in the world, and not even one of his closest friends can convince him otherwise. Let's go back to the beginning. The first quote he stated in this article. Ambrose can do what he wants. He's a big boy. He's got his big boy pants on. He can go out there and say whatever he wants, but the bottom line is not everybody is equipped to handle the rigors of WWE and the schedule and how it affects you mentally and emotionally. 
and Ambrose gave everything he had to the company for the entire time he was here. He put his heart and soul into the travel, into the schedule, into the injuries, into the work in the ring and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, he took his ball and he went home or he went somewhere else at least. Or he went somewhere elsewhere at least. And I think it's a little presumptuous of him to get on a podcast and talk down about the company that gave him such an opportunity. Motherfucker! You got some balls saying that, kid. Don't get me wrong. Seth Rollins is one of the top, top guys in the company right now. I'll give him that. He's busted his ass to get to where he is today. From FCW to NXT to main roster and to the spot he is in right now. But bruh, 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 bruh. Did you not did you not listen to the podcast? I did. He didn't take his ball and went home. With the triceps injury, he realized that he didn't want to stick around. He knew he was done with WWE before he even got back into the ring. Once he got back into the ring, let's try to remember this timeline once again. Comes back. When we thought, you know, it might be doing something different with Seth. He comes back to corner Seth Rollins' uh, victory over, I believe, Dolph Ziggler to win the Intercontinental Championship back. They then reform the Shield on some retarded shit. Roman then had to vacate the Universal Championship due to his leukemia coming back into his body. That same night, Ambrose and Rollins won the tag titles. Ambrose turned on Rollins, which was beautifully done on a night where it was such a low I mean a low low for WWE in terms but that that could have been a storyline of the ages Ambrose turning on Rollins turning heel on a night where it could have ended just beautifully what a way to cap off a low point in the beginning of the night to have it high point at the end only for it to turn a huge 180 and Ambrose turning on his former shield brother what happened after that was straight fucking garbage. And Ambrose as a heel, this version of a heel was straight garbage. The shot in the ass promo, him coming out in a gas mask and looking like fucking Bane. From Dark Knight Rises, the air horns, the, the feud itself should have been money. All the way to WrestleMania. Money. And it fell flat on its fucking face. Ambrose leaves. Reincarnates himself as John Moxley. And honestly, double or nothing. Debuts with the becomes part of AEW. Going after Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega. He now is about to face Kenny Omega at all out. One on one. Dream match. He then, I'd say what? Because that was May. That was Memorial Day weekend. Excuse me. Two weeks later, he goes in. He Not even before that. A week later, he is announced as the Death Rider, John Moxley. 
and he was the one to challenge Juice Robinson for the IWGP United States Championship. The week after that, he wins said IWGP United States Championship. And what I thought was a damn good match with Juice Robinson. Four days later at Dominion, June 9th, he announces that he wants in the G1 Climax. I believe a week after that, he gets announced as a member of the B Block in the G1 Climax. I'd say Dean Ambrose is truly dead, and John Moxley is absolutely very much doing well for himself. As we head towards this Friday, this Saturday, I should say, and we're going to have Fighter Fest. I'm not going to do any predictions for Fighter Fest because it's just an off-brand thing. Um, I won't be doing probably any more predictions for AEW until all out this August. Um, because it's, it's technically not a full out pay-per-view. It is a, it's technically a pay-per-view for AEW, but it's just like an off, like an off thing. So I won't be doing any more predictions for AEW until all out this August. But I will say him versus Joey Janela this Saturday night is going to be absolutely wonderful. I think they're going to have a fucking great match against each other. I think they're going to have a really damn good match. I can't wait to watch it. And he's going to be in the main event. So you know he is going to be fucking sick. Now, six days after that, actually a week after that, the G1 Climax begins. Unfortunately, he will not be there for the press conference on the 5th or the 6th because AEW at this very moment does not want him being um, involved. I think the contract contractually, he's not allowed to compete in the United States for another company, which is fine. So that's why he is not going to be involved with the press conference or the um, opening day of matches, like B block tag matches for G1, which is fine. And it's a good thing he's, he, they put him in the B block. A week after that on June, uh, July 13th is when he begins his road in the G1 Climax. Safe to say he's doing very fucking well for himself. He didn't take his ball and go home. Yes, he went elsewhere. But if you listen properly, like, come on, Seth. Come on, bruh. The man wanted to leave. He didn't want to be there anymore, and that's fine. He did what he had, he, he did what he had to do in WWE. He did literally everything he had to do in WWE. But there's no reason for you to, you know, come out and just bitch and say he took his ball and he went home. He did what he had to do to better himself, and that's why I'm siding with Will Ospreay. None of these comments needed to be made. And I'm being dead ass serious. None of these comments need to be made. Should. Should he have made these comments? I mean, he was good. I mean, he's his own man. I'm not going to tell anyone else to say what they want to say or do what they want to do. You're going to say what you want to say. You have Everyone has an opinion. Fabulous said it best. Said it best. Opinions are like assholes. So who gives a shit? 
We're going to say what we want to say. I have the platform to say what I want to say. You don't have to listen. But if you do, I appreciate you. Because we kind of share the same opinion thing. But this is why I side on the on, I'm on side of Will Ospreay. I was watching a video on woke culture. I believe yesterday. I was already at home. Finished the day from work. Finished walking my dog. It was hot as balls outside. So I'm glad air conditioning was a great invention. Fantastic. And I'm watching this video. And you can go watch it right now on Woke Culture, uh, Woke Culture's YouTube. I think it was like a five, six minute video where they talked about the attendance at on Monday Night Raw in Everett, Washington at the Angel of the Wings Arena. Yes, that's the actual name of the arena. The attendance for this particular episode of Raw Actually, you know what? I'm going to take a quick second to sip this coffee. I'll let you guess. I'll let you guess. In your mind, think of a number. And we'll see if you're right. I'm going to give you about 10, 15 seconds. If your answer was 3,500 people, you were absolutely correct. You are hearing this correctly. And you can watch the Woke Culture uh, video on their YouTube if you think I'm lying. I was as shocked as you were when I heard this number. I think it was um, Adam Wilborn and uh, Adam Cleary, if I I think I have their names right. I know I have the um, last names right. If it's Adam or Aaron... I apologize. But even Cleary was trying to guess the attendance. And he said 8,000. And Wilborn said lower. 6,000. Lower. 5,500? Lower than that. And when Wilborn said 3,500, I even had my jaw dropped and I covered my mouth. When you had 3,500 fucking people come to your Monday Night Raw post pay-per-view, I don't know if Seth Rollins has anything to even try to open his mouth at this point. It's okay to stick up for the company that you are a part of. I get that. With my job, I will back my company. Depending on who you ask, I will defend my company in certain ways. In other ways, I will keep my mouth shut because I can and I'm not trying to incriminate myself. But there's always... Yes, there's positives to WWE, but there's a whole bunch of negatives that go on with this company. Shitty booking. Shitty builds to pay-per-views. Booking the same talent week after week especially since the wild card rule was implemented they have literally used these same superstars almost every week since the wild card rule was implemented back in April 
Think about names you haven't seen. Shinsuke Nakamura for one. And I was listening to um, JD from MR206's uh, review from SmackDown last night. He stated, and I was shocked at this number. I was shocked at this too. Nakamura hasn't been featured in WWE programming since WrestleMania. I believe April 7th was the date for WrestleMania this year. Almost three months later, he is finally back on television and immediately was thrust into the title hunt for Finn Balor's Intercontinental Championship. Huh. Rusev hasn't been used. Apollo Crews hasn't been used. Aleister Black has been doing vignettes, period. Hasn't been in a match, I'd say, what, for a couple of months now? Buddy Murphy, un- not even utilized. Randy Orton, I haven't even seen on television, but he's got that schedule where he can just chill the fuck out, so that's whatever. Going over to the Raw side, I'm trying to think. I'm really trying to... I'm- itching at this point. I'm gra- I'm really reaching for names. Jinder Mahal even hasn't been utilized. The entire women's division besides Evans and Lynch haven't been featured. If you count Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, I guess so. Half of the women's division hasn't been utilized. You got everybody in the mid-card Going after the 24-7 championship, which, in my honest opinion, still is the worst title WWE has put on, period. Regardless of the comedic... I mean, yes, I always... I stated on Twitter, R-True put the belt, best stuff on television. Without it, loses its luster immediately. Or it, we might as well just call it the R-True championship or the internet championship. Since nine times out of ten, you see the title changes on social media. Viking Raiders, where they been? The B team finally got featured. I think last week or some shit. Matt Hardy is doing this other, this weird random gimmick. Shelton Benjamin showed up for the first time in God knows how long. Jack Gable's now on 205 Live, by the way. It is imperative. That WWE needs to change their shit up immediately. And I'm I, of course, I'm gonna say I always say this line. I always sound like a broken record when I say this shit. Like I said, Seth Rollins defending his company, I can respect that. But when the company around you is having the literally so far in the past five years, the worst year in the last six years. Hard for me to back you up on that argument, sir. Hard for me to back you up. And especially with Monday Night Raw's piss poor attendance in Everett, Washington. It's hard for me to defend Seth Rollins with this argument. Anyways... This is episode 70, actually, ladies and gentlemen, 
It's a very momentous day. Raise your glasses high. This is episode 80 of the Young Lions Perspective. Here's to 80 more, bitches. And with that being said, let us begin. What's going on, guys? Zach from the Wrestling Conditions Podcast here, and welcome to episode 80. Yes, I said it, 80 episodes of the Young Lions Perspective. So glad to have you here with me on this lovely day. Well, in my neck of the woods of New Jersey, excuse me, but I hope you're enjoying your day, your night, your afternoon, and your evening, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the podcast, and as always... I greatly and truly appreciate y'all, and I really hope y'all enjoyed the opening segment of today's episode. Um, I had been—I know everyone's picking a side on this stuff, and I explained why I'm not siding with Seth Rollins and all that. But I just was waiting for this—the uh, opening segment—to upload, and it uploaded. So I was just, you know, checking out my uh, Twitter timeline real quick, and I just posted a tweet. Because apparently, we now know why Baron Corbin is getting the push he is getting right now for the Universal Championship. Apparently, this motherfucker, and by this motherfucker I mean Vince McMahon, believes that Baron Corbin should be receiving a push because he thinks in his mind, women... Think he is good looking. I'm going to say that one more time just in case you didn't hear it or for everybody else in the fucking back. That needs me to have a fucking megaphone. Vince McMahon believes Corbin deserves a push. Because he believes in his fucking mind, his 73 year old mind, that Corbin. Deserves his fucking push. Because women think he's good looking. And my dog just looked at me like I had 14 heads. I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I know. Go sleep. (laughs) This is how bad WWE is. When you have a push, simply because your employer believes women think you're hot. That's like saying Charlotte Lacey Evans and Alexa Bliss should be getting pushes because they're blonde and have big tits. I mean, that's your reasoning for pushing Baron Corbin to get his third consecutive shot at the Universal Championship? And you wonder why eight fans of professional wrestling are going to be gravitating towards AEW more and more in the coming months, especially as we head towards All Out in August. I don't. I just don't get the reasoning behind that. There, there it doesn't make any 
fucking sense whatsoever to give someone a push. It doesn't make any sense for anyone with a brain that uses, you know, logic, reasoning, and common sense. And apparently it's that time of the fucking day where uh, the landscapers in my apartment complex believe it's a good idea to fucking just, you know, use their fucking blowers to just blow out grass on the fucking... Anyway. Anywho, thank you for checking out this episode of the podcast, and you're not here for me to talk shit about, you know, landscapers just doing their job as usual. We are here to talk about, of course, the good, the bad, and for this particular episode, a very, very, uh, very big ugly that was WWE Stomping Grounds. Now, I'm going to get right into it with the good. And I've all, and I just wrote it all. I literally wrote all of these notes in uh, like 20 minutes. Not even lying to you. Because I just took what I saw. I just looked at the match card and kind of had an idea of what was good and all that shit. And for a pay-per-view whose build was absolute dog shit, Stomping Grounds actually ended up being a better pay-per-view than most of us expected. Which really surprised a lot of people. Including yours truly. And... Alright, they're really trying to play with me right now on this shit. It seems like every time I try to record an, an episode of the podcast on a particular day, these landscapers usually are out here. Yep, and my dog just woke up. I know, they're interrupting your sleep. I know, I can't do anything about it, dude. They have to do their job. They're getting paid to do stuff. Anyway, but this was a very, this particular show actually overachieved in the sense of this pay-per-view. I was shocked. I was very, very shocked at what they gave us this past Sunday. I really was. The first thing I wanted to lay out here, actually the second reason I had, was that the Cruiserweight Championship match was fucking awesome. Once again, they put the Cruiserweights on the pre-show, and it basically became one of the best matches we saw on Sunday night. Tony Nese, Akira Tozawa, and now your new WWE Cruiserweight Champion, Drew Gulak, put on a wonderful display of professional wrestling. A wonderful display of professional wrestling. The, I literally watched the match this morning because I didn't. I was out and about um, helping my grandma, my mother and I were helping out my grandma with stuff on Sunday. So I didn't catch the, uh, the kickoff show. But I watched the match this morning before I recorded and I was thoroughly impressed with that match. That match was fucking amazing. The amount of near falls, the fucking amount of moves, the of course uh one particular move was that um one particular spot I should say was Drew Gulak had Tony Nese in the Gulak. Looked like he was about to tap and out of nowhere, Okiwa Tozawa hits the high, high hits a fucking 
senton off the top rope. The height he got before he landed on Nice and Gulak was fucking ridiculous. That was one of my favorite spots of the night. Um, nice power bombing, fucking uh, Tozawa with one with the strength of one hand. Then picking him up and th- buckle bombing him into the freaking corner. The running Nice to Gulak was dope. Um, the uh, Tope suicided through the ropes by Tozawa onto Nice before he did a, a, a rolling senton on the Gulak. That was pretty dope. The crowd would look like they were super into it from beginning to end. And it really came across very well. It was a very well done match. I loved it. I personally love this match. And again, it shows that cruiserweights deserve to be on the fucking main card. You literally could have switched Reigns McIntyre and the Cruiserweight Championship. And I would have not been mad at it for one fucking second. I love this match. This match was fucking amazing. And if you didn't watch the kickoff show, I ask of you, I don't beg of you, I recommend that you go back and watch the kickoff show just for this match. It was an amazing match from beginning to end. Drew Gulag, my hat's off to you. Congratulations on becoming the new Cruiserweight Champion, especially coming off your feud with Kushida. And it makes me want to watch 205 Live and see what the fuck I'm missing. Because these guys are that good. We now have a budding rivalry with Nice and Gulak over the Cruiserweight Championship because he was never pinned. And I, I, I'm really interested to see how Nice and Gulak, the feud itself, will go going forward. I'm hype about that. I want to see that match. All three of them did their fucking job and hit their fucking numbers on Sunday night. I was thoroughly impressed by that match alone. Ricochet is now the WWE United States Champion after being on the main roster for only three months. Now, we all know he came up with Gargano, Champa, and Black. And initially... All of us were nervous. A good, or should I say, a good portion of us were very nervous about all four of them coming up. Because in my mind, I was thinking it made sense for Black and Ricochet to come up because they were pretty, they pretty much had done everything they needed to do. And we all knew their last match was going to be a takeover in New York against the, uh, at the time, the NXT Tag Team Champions, the War Raiders. We knew they were coming up. Gargano and Champa had no reason to come up, and unfortunately, because of that whole deal, Champa is now out with injury. I mean, yes, he is now able to be a part of non-contact situations in NXT, but WWE knew he had an injury to his neck, and they still put him out there anyway. Which should still piss you off at this very moment. Had they kept him in NXT and let him just ride out the Gargano feud until after TakeOver New York, uh, Champa would have done a surgery immediately after TakeOver New York and WrestleMania weekend. And we would probably get Champa probably becoming non-contact after the fall. 
after the fall season begins, which I perfectly would have been fine with. Because that would have got him probably back at least into non-contact uh, promos and all that good stuff well before Survivor Series. Unfortunately, we would have, we would have waited until the, probably the end of the year to wait for Chapa to come back. But it would have been a better situation than having him go initially, immediately to the main roster and competing in matches. And from what I'm seeing, he's already doing workouts. He's, I saw a video of him on Twitter, you know, just doing workouts, working on his shoulder, all that good shit. It's very, it's, I'm very happy to see him, you know, being able to perform, uh, you know, perform workouts, you know, all that shit. And I love this home gym, by the way. This home gym was pretty lit. I'm not even going to front. That home gym was pretty sweet. That was a nice home gym he had uh, where he lives. Um, but getting back into Ricochet, becoming United States champion after only three months of the roster, this is how you're supposed to do it. This is how you're supposed to build up your talent, your new talent. Don't do Don't go the EC3 route. Like they've done him. Do it like they did it with Ricochet. Not everybody that comes up from the main roster, NXT roster to the main roster is going to become championship material off the bat. But at least they deserve to get a good, solid push. The match itself between... Samoa Joe and Ricochet was what a mid-card championship match should be from beginning to end. Now, y'all know, if y'all listened to uh, the last episode of the, actually not the last episode, the episode 78 of the podcast where I did my uh, preview and predictions for Stomping Grounds, I had Ricochet winning by disqualification to help further the feud between Samoa Joe and Ricochet, and I would have had Ricochet defeat Samoa Joe in a street fight Doing a, doing a freaking 6.30 on the Samoa Joe on a table to become the new United States champion. I thought that would have been dope as fuck. Leading into now Ricochet and AJ Styles at SummerSlam for the United States Championship. That would have helped further the feud, get past Samoa Joe one last time, but apparently I forgot they don't do rematches. Now we're going to be getting Ricochet AJ probably for the remainder of the summer. Unfortunately, what WWE forgot is that they don't know how to book their champions. The only title literally that has any bit of credibility at this very moment is the 24-7 championship. Of which R-Truth is now an 8-time 24-7, 8 or 9-time 24-7 champion. That has the most entertainment value in WWE right fucking now. And it is very, it should be embarrassing for WWE to have that be the most valuable championship in their company right now. Vince McMahon and his group of cronies should be embarrassed to have that be its, you know, most relevant championship right now. Finn Balor finally made an appearance on WWE programming. 
with the Intercontinental Championship. And now Shinsuke Nakamura, as I stated earlier, is going to be fighting, more than likely fighting for the Intercontinental Championship at Extreme Rules. With no way of Nakamura building himself up to become the top contender for the title. Weird flex, but okay. But the match between Samoa Joe and Ricochet was what it should have been. A solid mid-card championship match between two men who deserved to fight for the title. I love the match. The match was fucking fantastic. It was a really damn good match. You know, I was very shocked that Ricochet won the title. I really was. My homeboy Carl at work, he called it. He said Ricochet's winning on Sunday. I'm like, I could see it, but I think I want them to. I think further in the feud would make the most sense. He called it, and he told me what Tuesday when he when he, we saw each other at work. He's like, I told you, I told you, man. So I got to give it up, tip of the hat to my boy Carl for calling that one. I didn't think it was gonna happen, but they actually pulled the trigger on Ricochet, and he's and when you think about it, it makes sense. It really does make sense. For him to become champion. It makes sense because he's a he's over as fuck as a babyface. He's so over. Really big time as a babyface. That it can't be denied. And that screams him winning a championship. And they actually went about it, I think, the right way. Him, him, him be earning the right to face Samoa Joe in a Fatal Five way. Then going on to Stomping Grounds and beating Samoa Joe in what I thought was a very entertaining match for the title. And winning it. I'm sure Casey Cannizzaro, when she finally saw him, showed her appreciation for her man. (laughs) I'm going to hell so fucking bad. But this was well done. I can't wait to see what... I mean, the fucked up part of the program is that with AJ and Ricochet now, AJ Styles beat Ricochet on Raw 24 hours after he won the championship. What the fuck is that? What kind of sense does that even make? A full day after you have your United States champion win the title... You have him lose to AJ Styles. What kind of logical reasoning is that? That makes no sense whatsoever. And this is why WWE is going in the fucking shitter. That is why Aaron Bauer said what he said in his article. About the WWE. And everything he said. Was dead on. Spot on. Absolutely spot on. So now what? What? They're going to have. Styles Ricochet. Now they're probably. I guarantee, This is what they're probably going to do. They're going to get Ricochet his, his win back. At Extreme Rules. They're probably going to have him go face, you know, Gallows and Anderson for the next couple of weeks. Because mind you, we only have less than three weeks filled to Extreme Rules. And they're probably going to have him face 
Ricochet, uh, uh, Carl Anderson one week, and then the week after that, have him face Gallows, do some sort of attack on Ricochet, and then we get to Extreme Rules, and then Ricochet will be probably be AJ Styles for the, to the uh, retain the championship. Doesn't make any fucking sense to have your champion lose his first night, the night after he wins the U.S. title. Doesn't make any fucking sense. But what did make sense was the match after Ricochet and Samoa Joe with the SmackDown Live Tag Team Championship match was damn good and heavy machinery were showcased very well. Yes, I know. It was the glorified home game for one Daniel Bryan as they were literally a hop, skip, and a jump away from Aberdeen, Washington, which is Daniel Bryan's hometown. But fans, in the beginning, of course, were booing heavy machinery because, well, like I said, it's a glorified home game for Daniel Bryan, and he was super over in his home state. But as the match went on, the crowd started getting behind heavy machinery as well. That match got Heavy Machinery over. It was so much fun to watch these guys. When you showcase them in the proper light, Heavy Machinery can be one of your top tag teams of the future for SmackDown Live. For however long they keep the uh, keep this you know superstar shakeup going, it shows that Heavy Machinery can be a team to watch out for for the remainder of the year. Albeit they lost the match, but this was a match that really was surprisingly made them look strong. And that's what you want out of your tag team championship matches. Yes, they didn't get the job done, but at least make them look strong in defeat. To make them just as credible for the SmackDown Live tag team division. So if they do get the chance to face Daniel Bryan and Rowan again, they know they were just that close to winning the titles. This past Sunday. That should be a match where fans down the line can say, yo, they were that close. I think they can get the job done this time. But then you go to Tuesday night and you have the New Day versus Daniel Bryan and Rowan. And you have the New Day defeating Daniel Bryan and Rowan. So again, you have your tag team, you have your champions. Losing on Basic Cable. Losing on SmackDown Live. And what sense does it make to have the New Day, now your number one contenders, to face Daniel Bryan and Rowan? Why? Didn't we have this problem back in like 2017, 2018? Actually, the no, 2017 was New Day Usos feud, and that was really cool. The 2018 was like the New Day Usos in the bar over and over and over again. And it's the rotation of matches. If the Usos were the champions, you could just put in the New Day and you could do something with that. If the New Day wasn't in contention, the bar was in contention. No other tag teams were really in contention. And now, once again, the New Day are number one contenders to the tag team championships. It boggles my mind. But getting back into heavy machinery... And Daniel Bryan and Rowan. Otis was the star of this match. 
he really got himself over. Now that's not to say Tucker wasn't, you know, didn't get himself over either because they, they they did their job. They handled their fucking business. But they really showed up and showed out. I was thoroughly impressed with this match. I was very happy with what they got out of this matchup. They got more than enough time to do what they needed to do. And it came across very, very well. And I, I think that was, honestly, they could they could have been in my top three matches of the night. We'll get to that after we get through the ugly. Uh, that was stomping grounds. But they were in contention immediately. I told myself, this could be top three match of the night. The final point of the good portion of the good, the bad, and the ugly that was uh, WWE stomping grounds was that the New Day taking on Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn was a match that I thoroughly enjoyed. I enjoyed this match. A lot of people will probably poo-poo it, saying this didn't need to happen. There was no meaning behind it. But this had this been like a... I actually put this on Twitter. Had this been like a tag team title match, I would have been very happy with the result. And if Cammy, uh, Cammy, going back to their their friendship days, going back to Owens and Zayn, if let's say if they were the tag team championships and they beat the New Day and retained the titles, how awesome would that have been for that particular match to have happened? I thought it was good. This was really good. It came across very well. Sure, there was no meaning behind it, but they actually had a solid match that I could get behind. And I believe that was match number two of the night. So right there, three matches that I was thoroughly impressed by. New Day versus KO and Sami Zayn, followed by the Samoa Joe Ricochet match for the United States Championship, and then the SmackDown Live Tag Team title match. I was thoroughly impressed. I enjoyed myself. And at that point, four of the five matches of the card hit its numbers. The first half of the show was fantastic. First match, of the first half of the show, well done. I was enjoying myself. I'm thinking, man, this could really, this could really get a solid grade from me. This could, this was at that at this point, the first half itself alone, solid A, solid A. But as you will see with the bad. The second half of the show, and actually of the portion of the first half, the first match of the main card, will explain why it unfortunately did not get an A. We're going to take a short break, listen from our sponsors, and we're going to talk about the bad that was WWE Stomping Ground. Stick, stick around. We'll be right back. Right, and we are back with the good, the bad, and the ugly. That was WWE Stomping Grounds. And now we have to talk about the bad. That was WWE Stomping Grounds. As I said before the end of the first segment, the second segment, I should say, of the show, the first half was a solid A. And as I will explain why in this portion of the program, why I did not deserve an A for the rest of the show. And I'm going to get the the obvious shit out of the way, and as I wrote down as the first point of the bad, that was WWE Stomping Grounds, Roman Reigns 
and Drew McIntyre should not even bother facing each other for the rest of the fucking year. This match was terrible. This match was absolutely fucking terrible. I did not care for this match one fucking bit. Not at all. It didn't deserve my time. It didn't deserve your time. It didn't deserve any effort from us even bothering with this. This literally was my bathroom break match of the night. Wholeheartedly. I did not care for this match one bit because, like I said, I didn't even want, I didn't even predict this match because I already knew the fucking result before it even showed up. And the result was, of course, Roman Reigns won. Roman Reigns won. Lol. Did you expect anything fucking different? Honestly. Two weeks ago, Shane McMahon, with the help of Drew McIntyre, defeats Roman Reigns and declared and continues his bullshit moniker of best in the world because he beat Roman Reigns. And now, Reigns, of course, in typical fashion, gets his at least a victory back on one of his cronies. I feel so bad for Drew McIntyre's positioning in the company at this point. Because I and I, I'm being true, like seriously honest with you guys, Drew McIntyre literally should be world champion at this very fucking moment. He should not be dealing with the Roman Reigns. They had their match at WrestleMania. He lost. Get over it. Work your ass off to get into title contention with Seth Rollins. Instead, WWE is booking him. To be the heavy for Shane McMahon. If I'm Drew McIntyre at this very moment, I should be literally pissed the fuck off. Why am I being involved in a program with Roman Reigns and Shane McMahon is one of the top feuds in the company when I myself, that I know I'm world champion fucking material and they don't see it. That was me trying to kill a gnat. I missed. But when you honestly think about it, why the fuck did we even need to see this match again? A WrestleMania rematch we didn't care about. Just the further along the feud with Roman and Shen. And now, of all things, in less than three weeks' time, we're going to get Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre in a tag team match with Roman Reigns and The Undertaker. Teddy Long should be pitching a tent right now about this. This disgusts me beyond belief. I am thoroughly disgusted at the fact that The Undertaker, who's damn near pushing 60, is going to be involved in a tag... Why? He's going to be involved in the tag match with the man that beat him at thirty WrestleMania 32. And what I thought was one of the worst matches on the card. What, I, what, I, what I've 
officially nicknamed the Beaning of the Dead Horse match. Hopefully that will catch catch fire and go viral. In 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 a match that makes absolutely no fucking sense. It doesn't make any fucking sense to have this tag match at Extreme Rules. What's the point? And at this point, for all you WWE apologists out there who are going to try to defend this match, save it. Save your words for someone else. Save your words for a Sean Ross Sapp who's going to shut you down. Save your words for a Kevin Castle and a Don Tony who's going to shut you down. Save your words for my homie Nick Nightmare, Sledgehammer TV Podcast, who's going to shut you down. Save your words for a JD from NY206 who's going to shut you the fuck up. Save your words for someone you actually can pretty much be butt buddies with. Save, actually, get send those words to Orion Satin and a Dave Meltzer. How in the absolute fuck are you going to expect me to get behind this tag match in less than two, three weeks? Boy, is it going to be a long summer for us. And it's going to be a long summer for Drew McIntyre. God, this company pisses me off beyond belief. What also pissed me off... Becky Lynch versus Lacey Evans was a decent way to open up the show, but it didn't do it really do it for me in the grand scheme of things. This feud should have ended last month. Becky beat Lacey. Lacey taps out. Feud over. Or if you want to go the Velveteen Dream route, Dream over for Lacey Evans. Once again, she had her championship match because, of course, they have no one else on the fucking divi- roster, on, on the women's division roster, to even try to push. I would have been more interested in an Alexa Bliss Becky Lynch championship match than Becky versus Lacey again. I would have been invested in an Natalia Becky Lynch championship match. Hell, I would have been more interested in a Dana Brooke versus Becky Lynch championship match than what we got this past Sunday. I did not care for this match. This was Lacey's second opportunity for a championship match and what was supposed to be a non-factor. Because last time I checked, and of course they think we fucking forgot, there are no more rematches in the WWE. And because they were pushing no one else on the Raw Women's side of things, Lacey Evans gets shot again. And now going into Extreme Rules, she is now involved in a mixed tag team match, teaming up with Baron Corbin. To take on Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch 
with both the Raw and Raw Women's and the Universal Championships on the line. And Seth Rollins being the idiot that he is accepted the challenge before the terms of the match were even made. Are you fucking kidding me? So now Corbin and Evans get their third straight opportunity to win the championships. And I swear on everything I love, if Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans win this match, say goodbye to Raw. Raw will officially at that point be dead. Even if Brock Lesnar cashes in. And beats Corbin. To become the Universal Champion. Again. Raw will die a very slow and painful death. Those subpar ratings of two. Subpar two ratings. That I talked about last December. Then we might see those in 2019. Before SummerSlam. Those Raw shows. It's likely. It's very fucking likely. I would hate to see it. 26 years of Raw. And if Corbin and Evans win the win their win the respective championships of their divisions, those ratings are gonna go down real fucking quick. And that's a scary thing to think about. When you honestly think about it. I would hate to see Lacey Evans be the women's champion because there's nobody to fucking face her with. Who have they built? They haven't been Natalia, Naomi, Alexa, Dana, I think Sarah, Ruby. Ruby's out with injury. Who you fucking got for her? What are you going to do? You're going to, and then what? You're going to, at SummerSlam, have Becky Lacey again? It's illogical at this point. It's illogical. It's retarded. It's beyond belief and train of thought. It's a fucking disgrace. It really is. And it should be a a huge slap in the face to the Raw Women's Division and the Universal Championship. If that's the case. But going back to the match real quick, I mean, it was inevitable that uh, Lynch was going to make Evans tap out. It was inevitable. Sure, Lacey Evans' entrance was very, very out there. That outfit was very interesting. Even my mom, who saw the, who saw it, was just like, what the fuck is that? The only reason she liked Lacey Evans was because she was a former United States Marine. And my mother actually served in the United States Army. But getting into my next point, the steel cage match between Kofi Kingston and Dolph Ziggler wasn't really anything special at all. Going into this match, I really didn't care for this match at all. 
The only reason we were having this rematch was because Xavier Woods got involved. And according to Dolph Ziggler, he interfered in his match and cost him a chance to become WWE champion. I really didn't care one bit for this feud. Initially, when Ziggler had attacked Kofi Kingston, I was thinking, holy shit. This is going to be a great feud between Kingston and Ziggler. Two guys that had previously faced each other. In years past, and put on some great displays of matches against each other over the United States Championship and the Intercontinental title. They put on great matches with each other. This time around, they just made Ziggler look like a whiny bitch. It should have been me. No, bitch, it wasn't never going to be you. And then... Because this, I'm gonna make this, this is, a, I guess, a theme now going into SmackDown. They had them face each other again, and surprisingly, a champion won a match. I didn't even watch the second half. I went to fucking sleep after forty minutes. After forty minutes of fucking SmackDown Live, I gave it a fuck. I was just done. And I usually love live tweeting during SmackDown Live. That used to be a safe haven for me. Tuesday, I knew Raw was gonna suck. And I knew Tuesday, it was at least going to be halfway decent. But then they have Ziggler speaking with WWE management and getting another match with Kofi. And had he beaten Kofi, he was going to make it a triple threat with Samoa Joe and Kofi Kingston for the WWE Championship at Extreme Rules. And on a side note, getting into the wild card for a second, and actually will lead into... My next point. The wild card rule is literally fucking up everything for what is the brand split. Because now all of a sudden, I mean, yes, granted, Samoa Joe and had a great United States Championship match with Ricochet. Who is a raw superstar. Now attacks Kofi Kingston on Raw and is now going to more and is now officially going to be in the WWE Championship match with Kofi fucking Kingston. What the, like, what the, like, what the fuck are we doing here? This makes absolutely no fucking sense. Which, like I said, leads into my next point. At this point, the wild card rule has fucked up everything for the SmackDown Women's Championship. And I'm talking about Bailey and Alexa Bliss. Alexa Bliss winning a triple threat number one contenders match against Charlotte and Carmella, who were actually two SmackDown superstars. And a Raw superstar gets the chance to face a SmackDown superstar at Stomping Grounds. I didn't like this match either. 
it was it was okay. It was alright. But it was a mere formality for Bailey to defeat Alexa Bliss. Because I already can see. Hey, my dog, my dog is super pissed right now. My dog. I know, Marley. The landscapers have to work though. She is not happy right now. She is so mad. Go back to bed. It's okay. You're fine. Go, go night night. Go night night. What? What? They're working. I can't stop them. Anyway. It was imperative for Bailey to get this win against Alexa, albeit by Nikki Cross interfering in the match and trying to get uh, her hands on Bailey after Alexa pushed her into the line of fire on the outside, thus giving Bailey a chance to actually win the match off of uh, a miss by Alexa Bliss with Twisted Bliss. And then Bailey hitting the Bailey to belly, one, two, three, she retains the championship. And of course, continuing the theme, going into Tuesday, WWE did a video package of Nikki and Alexa talking, Nikki apologizing to Alexa for being uh, the one to cost her the championship at Stomping Grounds. She somehow got a match with Bailey, and if she beat Bailey for in a non-title matchup, that would give Alexa Bliss a rematch against Bailey at Extreme Rules. What the fuck do you think happened? But Zach, you didn't watch the program. How do you know what happened? I listened to the post-game shows. I listened to the post-game shit. And uh, Nikki Cross beat Bailey. And while Alexa Bliss was on tour in Japan. Nikki Cross got the job done and got Alexa Bliss another shot at the SmackDown Women's Championship. The wildcard rule is literally the final nail in the coffin for WWE at this very moment. It really is. I hate this rule just as much as I hate the 24-7 championship. What ser- What purpose does this serve? This doesn't serve any purpose whatsoever. It really doesn't. It's literally destroying the WWE main roster. And this is why fans of WWE are gravitating towards NXT and NXT UK. Because they don't play that shit. They don't play any of that shit. The women's division down in NXT is some of the best I've seen in the past year and a half. With Shayna, with Mia, with Io, with Candice, Jessamine, Marina, Vanessa Bourne, Aaliyah, Tainara, Zaya. Some of the best I've... It, the, it, it's been revitalized. I just wish Lacey Evans was still in NXT. I wish Dana Brooke would go back to NXT and build herself back up. I really do. 
At least she wouldn't be breaking her head wide open. Why do we need to see Alexa plus Bailey again? We've already seen it. She lost. Back of the line. That's it. I really honestly don't get it. And now, uh, one more, and now I, sw- I swear, if if they give Alexa the Women's Championship, I'm going to be so pissed. Because, honestly, your major match for, you know this, you know what this really is? Extreme Rules is literally just a placeholder pay-per-view. Until we get towards the push for SummerSlam, in which we'll get Bayley versus Charlotte for the title. That's all I think this is. They're just giving Alexa Bliss this title shot as a placeholder feud until we can get Bailey versus Charlotte at SummerSlam. Another blonde with big tits getting another shot at the championship. When you fucking have talent like Ember Moon that are deserving of a championship match. Where you have Asuka. And where the fuck is Asuka and Kyrie, by the way? Where the fuck are they being? Sonya Deville, Mandy Rose. Trying to think of who else is in the division. Peyton, Billy, Liv. Where the fuck is Liv Morgan? Your women's division is stacked. Stacked, literally and figuratively. Yet, you're just going to have a Raw superstar fight for the other brand's championship. Again. It is absolutely asinine and foolish. The last point of this portion of the program, the bad that was WWE stomping grounds. The Lacey Evans being picked as a special guest referee was a clever move. The universal title match between Seth Rollins and Baron Corbin was flat out boring. Boring. And predictable. I didn't write that down. I just added that up. What The second they put Lacey Evans as a special guest referee, I immediately thought, okay, either one of two things is going to happen. They're going to have Becky come out at some point and attack Lacey, or they're going to give Baron Gordon the championship right now. Those are the only two things I thought about in my head. And of course, the entire time, Lacey was on the side of Corbin because, of course, she's a heel. She turned, she, of course, did the uh, almost counting three, but having a cramp in her shoulder. And then Corey Graves trying to defend it and saying, you know, she wasn't a women's championship match. And then Lacey Evans making it no count out. So Seth Rollins didn't get the victory. Then making it a no disqualification so she can help try to help Baron Corbin win the title. The low blow. By Lacey Evans, Corbin using a chair, all this shit, Becky comes out, attacks Lacey, Lacey's incapacitated, they had to use a different referee, referee counts three, Seth Rollins retains, joy. I didn't care, because I knew it was predictable. 
if you thought Baron Gorbel was winning the championship off of Lacey Evans being the pick alone, you're an idiot. Again, the fact that Corbin is getting a push because women think he is, because he believes women swooning are swooning over him is dumb as shit. It is dumb as fuck. Fuck. So foolish. And then they, now they get to do it one more time in a mixed tag match for the Universal and the Raw Women's Championship at Extreme Rules. Didn't know I get Fox Sports 2 now. That's cool. I like that. Sorry, I was trying to, I was trying to turn the channel to the, uh, the Herd with Colin Coward. Very good show, by the way, if y'all don't watch it. Be- way better than First Take, may I add. Just want to put that out there. Um, but the second half of this show really brought the show down, which I... which. You gotta have an idea at some point you're thinking, okay, this match is delivering on all fronts so far, minus the Becky Lynch, Lacey Evans opener. It's gotta go downhill at some point, right? And sure enough, immediately we went down right after the, ta- the SmackDown Live tag team title match. Immediately we went right downhill and took a shit. The second half of this show was was unbearable. I was just beyond upset with how the second half of this show was done. I was sadly disappointed in this show. I mean, granted, like I said, I had no big expectations for this show. But when your second half of the show takes a straight nosedive... That should honestly be the portion of the program you should be mad about. First half was great. Second half, trash. And it brought down the show so much. And made my grade for the show a lo- way low. Way low. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get right into, I guess what some could say is the best part of the show. The ugly. That was WWE Stomping Grounds. We'll be right back. Getting into the final segment of the program. Of the good, the bad, and the ugly that was WWE Stomping Grounds. I only have one... Big piece of information that was, I thought, super, super ugly for this pay-per-view. And which also helped drive down the grade as well. I spoke about, in the opening segment of the show, where Monday Night Raw's attendance was only 3,500 in Everett, Washington. Which was the worst attendance in years. Stopping grounds. 
I we if you were following on Twitter that a lot of the seating for the show was actually curtained off. So much so that literally the opposite of the hard cam side was curtained off and fans were moved over to the hard cam side to make it look like there was actually a good amount of fans in attendance. That is far beyond the truth. Only 6,000 people showed up. 6,000 people paid money to see this pay-per-view. 6,000. I was watching JD from NY206's Off the Script last week. And there was actually a seating chart for um, the Tacoma Dome in Tacoma, Washington. And there were certain portions of the arena seating that was in blue. That blue indicated seats that were still available. For the show. So much so that they were offering, if I remember correctly, they were offering two-for-one deals to get fans to buy tickets for the show. And yet only 6,000 people showed up for this pay-per-view. On a work night, on a night before the work week begins for most people, they knew they were not going to spend their hard-earned money on a show that most people thought was going to be piss poor. And I don't blame them one fucking bit that they didn't want to go. I wouldn't have gone if I was living in Tacoma. I would have focused on work. I would have focused on, man, I got to make sure I get up early for work. I'll stay home and watch this. Show's going to end around 10.30, 10.15, 10.30. Right, that gives me a good enough time to get some rest. Well, technically, if you're living in, in the West Coast, show would have started at 4, ended at 7, and you could still, you know, Go somewhere for about an hour or two, get home, get some sleep. Barbecue, go to the bar, hang with some friends. Get out by seven. You know, finish up the show at seven, go out a little bit. Go to bed around 10 o'clock. Good to go for work. Still got enough sleep for work. Bang, done. That's really, and then the next night, as I spoke about in the, Opening segment, 3,500 people showed up for Raw. Again. Show, you know, seating got taped up, tapered off. Is, is it tapered or topped? No, I believe tarped off is the right term. Yeah, that's the right term for it. And made and they once again tried to make it look like there was more than 3,500 in attendance. Portland looked like a decent crowd last night. So they had something going for them. But when you only have 6,000 show up to a show, 
that tells you something. That tells the, actually tell WWE something that people didn't give it even give enough of a fuck to show up. They really didn't. I don't blame them. I don't blame Tacoma. I blame the product. I blame the product for not doing their fucking job and getting fans invested in the company. They were well within their right to buy the ticket if they wanted to. And 6,000 people did. Or people did and 6,000 showed up. And the first half of the show, they were probably happy for it. Second half of the show, they should have been pissed the fuck off. And yes, they were in the main event. When Lacey Evans got picked, was, was chosen as a special guest referee, AEW chance. This is stupid chance. Actually, during the Reigns McIntyre match, the crowd went off. This is stupid. I think in the main event, let's go Cena. Cena sucks chance. Boring. CM Punk chance. I heard them. You can try to fuck with the audio all you want. We still heard those chants. Fans were not happy. And they showed their ass on Sunday night. WWE should be embarrassed. I have not seen the ratings yet. Actually, here's what we're going to do right now. Because I love me some ratings. I love numbers. So let's see, before we get into my matches of the night and my MVP of the show. Let's see if my tablet wants to act correct for once. Let's see if we can get find out the actual rating for this past Monday's Monday Night Raw. Let's see if we can find it. So we're going to go on the tablet here. Monday. I, I can't even type, I swear. Monday. Night. Raw. Rating. Let's see. We, let's see if we can find it. Because last time we tried this, it didn't really work out too well. Click on news. Okay, that's not good. Turn the all. This is how much of a pain in the ass it is to actually try to find proper ratings. Let me see if I'm trying to think. Sports key. Let's see if Sports Kita actually had it because I think the last time I saw it was Sports Kita that actually had um, the results. Ugh, this is this is always a pain in the ass. Trying to find results. 
because I mean certain certain uh, websites have them, certain ones don't. All right, I'm gonna try wrestling ink real quick. See if I can find it. I might get a better shot actually. Hmm. TV by the numbers. Okay, so it looks like it hasn't come out yet, unfortunately. So um, if I do find it during the week, uh, whether it be today or tomorrow, I will definitely for sure post that on my Instagram. But let's get into the best and worst matches, my MVP of Stomping Grounds, and of course, the final grade for WWE Stomping Grounds. So we can put a close to this chapter. Of the calendar year for WWE. My MVP. Of stomping grounds. Is going to absolutely. Go to Ricochet. Defeating what I thought was a really good match. Top three match of the night. And winning his first main roster championship. His second overall. In WWE. And what I thought was a really really good match. Between him and Samoa Joe. In three months, he actually got this opportunity. In three months' time, he finally became, he actually became champion. You know, having good matches with Cesaro, going back-to-back with him and actually killing it. You know, all this good stuff. And then, actually... Becoming the more contender and then beating Samoa Joe to become United States champion. I'm really, really happy about, you know, him winning the championship. Really, really happy with it. Really happy with the fact that he's East champion. And I can't wait to see what he's going to do. However, for how long he was the championship. Now, it's going, not off to a great start losing to AJ Styles on Monday. But at least for that, this particular pay-per-view... He gets my MVP award for stopping grounds. Getting into the top three matches for stopping grounds. Number three. I'm going to give it to the SmackDown Live Tag Team Championship match between Heavy Machinery and the Planet's Tag Team Champions of Daniel Bryan and Rowan. This is a really, really good match and a really great way to follow Samoa Joe and Ricochet after what was a really good United States Championship title match. I was very happy with this matchup. I think this is definitely a solid match between these two teams. And they really, and with Heavy Machinery getting over as time went on in the match, I was perfectly impressed by what both teams did in victory and in defeat. Number two on this card. Number two best match for stomping grounds. 
I'm actually going to give it to Samoa Joe and Ricochet. Yes, Ricochet was my MVP of the mat of the of the pay per view and deserves definitely some credence. And they put on an excellent mid card championship matchup for the fans in Tacoma, Washington. They definitely did their job. Well done by both guys. I couldn't believe that they that they, we would actually get such a match for stomping grounds in this manner. I knew it was going to be. I, I even said it on my preview and predictions. This is a dark horse to be match of the night. And it would have been if it wasn't for our number one match of stomping grounds. And I am giving it to the cruiserweights. Tony Nese, Akira Tozawa, and Drew Gulak. A triple threat match for the cruiserweight championship. This match was leaps and bounds. My favorite match on the card. And it was on the kickoff. How funny is that? The Cruiserweight division was only featured on WWE Network. Had the best match of the night. This match was amazing from beginning to end. The action involved in that match. What I spoke about earlier in the good that was WWE Stomping Grounds. They absolutely fucking killed it. They were getting so much praise on Twitter. Seth Rollins even gave him some love. And he has been giving him a lot of love as of late. On these pay-per-views. Um, which when you have the respect of your top champion. On one of the brands in WWE. You're doing something right. To the point where Cedric Alexander. Even says he misses 205 Live. How crazy is that? When you have Cedric Alexander. Who's now I believe on Monday Night Raw. Is saying he misses 205 Live. I'm sure Buddy Murphy and Mustafa Ali do too. Because they ain't doing shit with either of them. They aren't doing a damn thing with them. That is hilariously sad. That your cruiserweights outshine, in just my personal opinion, outshine everybody on the card. And it was on the kickoff show. We got close to a 20-minute match with these guys. And they showed you why 205 Live should be relevant and why I think 205 Cruiserweight Division should be featured on Monday and Tuesday nights. It'll help your quality of the show immensely, exponentially, if you gave them time to actually do their thing. And once again, the Cruiserweight showed you why they should be looked at as relevant in WWE, and they're not, and it's fucking sad. Getting into my worst match of the night. It should be painfully obvious. Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre outright gets the award. This match was fucking terrible. With a predictable result, which made no fucking sense and did not need to happen on this card. As I said earlier, if you switch Reigns McIntyre and the Cruiserweight Championship match, I, that this literally would have easily upped the grade like that. And probably would have been a better card because of it. All this did was just further the feud between Roman and Shane. And now we're getting the Roman Undertaker Shane Drew match at Extreme Rules. Which in of it, in and of itself also makes no fucking sense.
I honestly don't get it at this point. This match sucked. And again, for all you WWE apologists out there who thought Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre was a good match, you can fucking go take that bullshit somewhere the fuck else. Now I'm being dead fucking serious. This match was garbage. From beginning to end. I hope they never face each other for the rest of the year. I hope Drew McIntyre moves on to worry about the United States Championship at this point. Let him be a viable contender for the U.S. title. At least give him something better to do than this shit. My final grade for stomping grounds was a very easy one. Due to the fact that the second half of the show was garbage. Unbearable, boring. I could literally went to sleep an hour before the show ended and I wouldn't have given a fuck, to be truthfully honest with you. I said earlier that the first half of the show was a solid A. And then we talked about the bad portion of the program. And why the in the in the, my final grade easily went way down. It's a respectable grade, but it's an actual proper deserved grade. And I'm giving this pay-per-view, and what I thought was a better than expected pay-per-view, a C plus. It's about as respectable as I can get. It wasn't a D. It wasn't a C minus show. The first half really saved its ass. The first half really saved this from being a C minus D show. And it, and it hovered on B minus C plus territory. Had the, had any one of the matches in the second half been better, this de- this match, this card would have gotten a B minus from me. But C plus, I think, is a proper grade to give this pay-per-view. Without question. And ladies and gentlemen, that was your good, bad, and the ugly. That was WWE Stomping Grounds pay-per-view. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to close out the show and talk about the next upcoming shows one more time if you missed the opening segment of the show. We'll be right back. guys that's gonna be it for episode 80 of the young lions perspective i want to thank you guys once again for taking time out of your day your night your afternoon and your evening wherever you may be wherever you are in the world thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the podcast and once again as always i greatly and truly appreciate it if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast do not hesitate to tell a friend to tell a friend about the young lions perspective share this episode Across all of your social media, your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter, your LinkedIn, your Tinder, your Bumbler, your Tumblr, whatever you got. Let the people know, especially on the roads, the biggest day of professional wrestling in 2019. The Young Lions Perspective is your alternative for professional wrestling podcast and that we are here 
to stay. Now, if you don't happen to have the Anchor app, but you still want to listen to this episode once again, or any of the other 79 episodes of Young Lions Perspective, including now four episodes of The Secret Files and currently two episodes of Outside the Robes, you can still find this podcast on other platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and of course, that good old Spotify fam. The search for the Young Lions Perspective across any of those platforms and you can find this podcast no problem whatsoever. Guys, if you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the Young Lions Perspective, check out my social media. Follow me on Twitter at SwaySenatorWWI. I still live tweet for SmackDown Live, NXT, NXT UK, AEW, any WWE live pay-per-view. And if I'm up at 5 o'clock in the morning and I got nothing else better to do, I do live tweet during New Japan programming. I believe I got my obligations out of the way. I'm going to check with a second my consultant. Good? All right. So, upcoming shows for the Young Lions perspective. There will be, uh, as I said in the beginning of this episode, there will be no NXT, NXT UK review this week. Like I said, I'm doing a big, big interview. My first ever guest on the Young Lions perspective. I will be doing it tomorrow, but it won't be coming out until July 1st. That we will come back better than ever. As I said, 2019 is going to big be a big year for us, and this is one big portion of it. As I said, I'm doing an interview with a certain someone who can't uh, actually came you know came out to me, you know hit me up in my DMs and was just like, hey man, I want to do, uh, you know, a podcast, episode of the podcast with you, man. It would be really cool to do it. I am I got this thing going on. Would love for you to be a part of it. And I had no hesitation to say no. I said yes immediately. So, Monday, July 1st, episode three of the Young, uh, not the Young Lions Perspective, of Outside the Ropes will be coming out and I will be with a certain someone talking about a certain thing. It's a big deal for him as it is for me. So, it is going to be a big deal for you. Tuesday, July 2nd, we will come back with episode 81 of the Young Lions Perspective. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That was Fighter Fest going down this Saturday night. If you're not, if you haven't been able to check it out yet, it's going to be free on BR Live. It's free. Your first, if this is going to be your first taste of AEW, if you didn't watch Double or Nothing, AEW. Fighter Fest, going down, Fighter Fest, free, BR Live. So we'll be talking about that. So that's the what's going to be coming up for you guys. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day. You know, I'm going to enjoy the rest of mine. I have the day off, so I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to drink me a protein shake. I'm going to shower up, and I'm going to enjoy the rest of my day, guys, and I hope you do the same. So until Monday, July 1st, for episode three of Outside the Ropes, enjoy yourselves. Enjoy the weekend that's coming up, and I'll see you guys soon. See you!